Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 69. My name is Damien Ross, and I'm the host of the Rootless Living Podcast and the publisher of the Rootless Living Magazine. I've been a full-time RVer and digital nomad since 2017. If you haven't already, head over to rootlessliving.com and grab a free digital subscription and start reading the only magazine that is covering what it is like to live a life that is still full of travel while you're working, aka being a digital nomad. So on this episode, I chat with Nathan, and I just want to give full disclosure that things get really real in this episode, and I think it's really worth a listen. You might get turned off in the beginning because some of it has to do with race, and you know maybe you don't think that's a big deal in regards to being a digital nomad traveling the country, but I think Nathan's story about taking his family out of Chicago and traveling the country while educating people about social injustices is really important. But like always, I probably have already said too much. Before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, I want to welcome Nathan to the show. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on, Damien. I'm excited to have you on. Where are you in the world right now? We are in uh, Portage, Indiana, believe it or not. And it's rainy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually, you got a nice sounding rig because I'm not picking it up. And usually it sounds like someone's making popcorn in the background. So good for you. So... You probably heard this in the intro. We're talking about a, a family of seven that went full-time in August. And actually, I even have a little dog as well, too. What I want to do is go back to August of 2020 and before. Like, where were you living? What were you doing? And what made you guys think to get the entire family of seven into an RV and go? Take me on that journey. I think in our last, uh, whenever we have a major transition, we would kind of throw out this idea. Uh, we should just travel the country in an RV. That would be awesome. We go, nah, that's too crazy. There's no way we can make that work. And at the beginning of 2020, this is before all the craziness in the country broke out, we decided to, okay, yes, it's a desire that's in our hearts. It's something we feel like the Lord placed there. Let's do it. We had a rental home in Chicago. We placed it on the market. We started the process of talking to the people we needed to talk to and making preparations and uh, getting told we're crazy by our therapist and various other people. <laughs> uh, said like, how are you going to have privacy? How is this going to work? I, don't, I, I mean, it just it sounds crazy to me. And um, us being determined and figuring out, even in, as the pandemic started to take off in March of 2020 and things were shut down is this still the time to do it there was a lot of uh state parks being closed down a lot of rv parks not being open and it made it very shaky for a little while so that really um kind of threw our plans for a little loop but we made some adjustments tried to be flexible with it and decided to go forward with it anyway for the last 10 years i've been a pastor in chicago and kind of working for different people i would do bivocational which i was working a regular job and doing pastoring at the same time we had planted the church we had lived on every side of chicago the north side the west side the south side the east side is the lake so we couldn't live there it felt like it was time to move into a new season. And so uh, moving into an RV and traveling around the country became our, our next season. Now, I will make an assumption, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Probably the one thing maybe people don't know is that you, Nathan, are black. Your 
your wife is white. Uh, I'm old school. I say black and white. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watched the show, The Office. Hank, the security guard, was Hugh Dane, and that was my one of my best friend's father who passed away not too long ago. And I called him an African-American once, and he corrected me so quick where he's like, don't put a hyphen in who I am. And that, that was it. I never did that again. I never went that route. That man changed it on me so hard right there. How is your family different than like her family? Because it is, you know, I'm the guy that'll say it's different being a black man traveling in an RV than a white man across the country. hundred percent people can say, no, it's not. But trust me, I've had a lot of my friends from high school reach out to me and you know, they're like, I would never do that. I could never do that. What was the family like and what's it been so far for you traveling? Uh, it's been the very interesting. The RV community is, I don't want to typecast anybody, but they're mostly white and mostly conservative. You know, if I were to throw a blanket statement on it, um, a lot of retirees, you know, people with families, you'll find some people every now and again who would say that they more... Uh, lean towards being liberal but it's a lot of conservative people a lot of interesting flags out there <laughs> uh, you know amen, amen. traveling traveling through trump country during an election you, you know we saw uh, um f biden flags we saw 13 colonies flags we saw confederate flags we saw god guns and trump flags you know yeah. <laughs> it's just like I'm like Hobby Lobby is making a lot of money. Dude. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so true. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's very different. But in some ways, I didn't have a whole lot of problems. It was a couple of instances here and there. I think mostly it is comparing the actuality of the state of this country and what the po- portrayal of the state of the country is. And I tell people sometimes that. I've heard of people going to do this and they're like, man, I got to get a gun, you know, because we're going to be out on the road. You're you're sometimes in parks and places you've never been before. You're walking in the dark. It could be wild animals. And I like to say when you are a peacekeeper, you need a gun. But when you are a peacemaker, like we feel like we are, all you need is courage. And I think that it was really important for us to draw on that well of courage to do something that we've never done. We've never even camped before we went on this trip. This is all learning on YouTube and uh, just a desire in our hearts to travel and to be out there. And this country is very beautiful, natural beauty. And I think people are more welcoming. It would it, it would su- surprise people how welcoming they were to me as a black man in this country. Um, and And so that was something I appreciated in the journey. It, it is very different as far as going into areas like, man, I'm in a town where maybe no black people ever haven't come recently or we're traveling through the south and we're, I'm going like, oh, look, oh, look at these nice plantations you can visit. Well, this is these are places that have history that really affect my people differently than it affects my wife's my wife's people. And going through Virginia, you're like in Kings County, Virginia. We um, ended, we kind of came back to Chicago, but it was, you're going through Georgia and Florida and these places that were at one time very scary for people that I would call my antecedents or my ancestors. Yeah, you know, I, 
I have that moment. So I, you know, my own story, I don't think I've even talked about it here on the show is I was one of the first white kids to go to LA high since like the fifties. Like my, my choice was an all boys school or to go to the local school, which was Los Angeles high school. And I went and I was literally the only white kid in the school. And so obviously because of Facebook, I stay in contact with so many of my high school friends that see this lifestyle and they just are asking questions all the time. And because that's the way I grew up, when I see another black man in a campground, I'm pro- I probably look like an idiot. I'm so excited. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, and, but I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm a big dude with a big beard covered in tattoos. A lot of times people <laughs> look at me and think the opposite. Like they can invite me to something where it's like, Hey, you know, don't forget to grab your white sheets and you know, you can come to the party tonight. I'm like, that's not me, bro. You don't want to invite me. But I will say that you are right. The lifestyle is, is really different, but I, I just, there is that moment where I'm like, it's still not a hundred percent. And I think I found that out recently when I was in a Facebook group and someone posted a really great story of a black couple that opened a resort in Alabama. And the title said black couple opens resort first black owned resort in Alabama RV resort. And the, the conversation was terrible where people were like, why are they mentioning they're black? It doesn't matter that they're black. And I just went in and said, they're not mentioning that they're black for white people. They're mentioning that they're black for mm-hmm. other black people to see that this is possible. And I think yeah. I got so many DMs from people that were like, you know, Damon, I never thought of it that way. I'm like, yeah, it has nothing to do with you, white people. Relax. It has nothing. It's it's being able to show what other people can do. And, you know, when I saw, obviously, you know, I do a little bit of research now. I used to not. I used to go into the show blind. And recently I've been doing a little bit of research and I went through. And you have this amazing, beautiful family, these five beautiful kids. And, you know, my kids are mixed race as well, too. Their mother is Mexican. And I just was like, man, I, I wonder what I would have said to myself if I thought about taking this RV trip with them. Cause you know, you're very comfortable in California with mixed race kids. It is a completely yeah. different lifestyle. And you know, when I saw that, I was like, all right, you know, I got to talk to Nathan. This is, this is really cool. And kind of what your mission is. And then just to hear from someone that is out there doing this and what it's like. And it's good to hear that. Yeah. You do run into moments. You do see the, I see those flags too. And they grieve my heart as well. Um, but I'm the guy that always likes to have a conversation with someone that has a Confederate flag. And I'm always like, how come you don't use the last flag? And they're like, what flag? The white one. How come you don't use the all white one? That's your last flag. They don't, they don't like that joke very much. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to do it. <laughs> so it, it's great that you guys are out doing this. And I know through, I had to mention and talk about it because through a podcast, sometimes that won't come up. Um, so no RV and no camping experience has been kind of a norm but it's not very normal to have zero camping and RV experience and go with a family seven. So let's talk a little bit about what that's like. What are the kids ages and how are they adjusting to this? Well, our youngest is Kalia. She's three. Then uh, Elijah is six. And then our daughter Niani is nine. And our next daughter, Kiana is 11. She's going to be 12 soon. And the oldest is Andre. He looks like a grown man, but he's only 13. And um, we have, you know, a growing family with growing uh, food budgets and, and all that. And I think it's been a harrowing year for children in a lot of ways. There's been a lot of grieving, a lot of loss for all of us. And um, it hasn't been easy with the older kids necessarily. You know, they're getting to the age where they want their own space. They don't want to be in the same, you know, 300 square feet or whatever with their, uh, 
younger siblings. It would be nice to have a door. The most we have now, they have a little bunkhouse and they have a curtain that they can close, you know, which is very important for them to be able to shut it off and they can be on the phone or and uh, or playing video games or talking to their friends or something like that. I think there's been some uh, issues doing that. and But they also have times where they're just in the bliss of being on the road. They're going to the beach. You know, it's February and we we spent two months in Florida. We go to Disney World and they can go to the beach several times. And in nine months, they experience maybe a week of winter, depending, you know, when we travel to the Midwest. So I think they've had some some benefits of it. Right now, it may be a better lifestyle for us to have now and again traveling. The younger ones love it. You know, they love being outdoors and love playing in the different playgrounds and meeting all the different people. But it has been difficult. I see why some people are just like, you know, we'll just wait till Tommy gets out of high school or uh, like because uh, uh, nobody wants to drag a grumpy teenager around the country. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. No, that makes sense. That's why I wanted to talk about it. Now, what did you guys end up purchasing? What are you guys traveling in? We were traveling in a 2015 Dutchman Denali. And our, I thought you just, hey, we're going to go on a road. All right, let's get an RV. It's easy. Let's go do that. But, you know, you got class C, you got class B, you got class A, you got fifth wheels, you got toy haulers, you have all these different varieties of vehicles that you can travel in and we had a little extra wrench because we there's seven of us we can't fit in a truck and pull a fifth wheel which a fifth wheel literally just looks like a house on wheels That's what I have. <laughs> we can't we we can't do it that way or else we would have to bring another car in order for everybody to fit in and for us to be able to go somewhere we landed on getting an excursion. So we have a 2003 excursion. We bought it and it had 169,000 miles on it. Now it has 189,000 miles on it. And we use that to pull our bumper trailer, the uh, Dutchman Denali. Gotcha. Yeah, I had uh, an excursion, you know, with a family of four. And, and two of my boys are, you know, one's taller than me and I'm almost 6'6". Six, six. Or six, seven, wow. yeah, and so I've got one telling me one. The, the excursion is an amazing vehicle. I don't even know if they're making them anymore, but that was a great. It's a great family, especially because it seats nine, and you know the third row is so far back there. It's like a big help. It's so funny, um, and, and then it's interesting the process, the things that you do have to think about. You know, I mean, it's and that's what I talk about when people are like, should I get a class A or should I get a fifth wheel? Or it's just you. You have to have those conversations in regards to what works for you. There is no right answer in a family seven. You're right. I think I'd, I'd be going through the, wow, if you get a Class A, you're going to have to get a, a different vehicle that just drives behind you, a van, or I don't know if there's enough sleeping area in a Class A. And if there is, it's probably a million-dollar Class A. So it's interesting to hear kind of your process. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, and then, you know, deciding whether you can get a Class A, and which was part of our original plan, get a Class A and tow a car behind you. But what car it's towable that's going to fit seven people. Right. Not many because you have to have the the way the transmission works and most people pull Jeeps or trucks or something like that or smaller cars and um, not many in that, you know, that range will still be able to fit us all. So we got a great deal on the excursion and, you know, the EPA has outlawed them for a reason. Right, we get right. about seven, we get about seven miles to the gallon around, but uh, it works for us because our children are tall. 
So uh, my son is six one right now, and my daughter is five nine, five ten, or something like that. Long legs, even a minivan is too tight for us right now. Right. But you know that doesn't that's not going to be able to tow anything. But just in the future, you know. I do think it was funny that you had family and friends that were concerned about for your privacy. You have five kids. Your privacy time is done. It's over. <laughs> yeah, you know, that just happened a long time ago. We, The youngest one is really making us pay for it. She's still coming every most nights and getting in bed. And we're like, okay, we have this mantra. It's just nothing belongs to us. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. That's, that's so, so amazing. Were the kids homeschooled before this trip or were they like just in regular schools? You know, I mean, again, outside of COVID. So were they going to public school or private school or were they homeschooled? Yeah, they were going to uh, public school and they had been homeschooled probably two or three years prior for a year. So my wife had some experience with it. This was, it was easier to homeschool than to try to do remote learning because we were going to be moving out of Chicago anyway. Um, I helped as much as I can. I, I called myself, I was the janitor slash gym teacher slash spiritual formation advisor. So that's kind of my, <laughs> kind of my role. Cleaning up, cleaning up messes, uh, taking them to the playground sometimes. And then I would do a, a devotional or Bible study with the kids in the morning. So we're pulling on all of our uh, gifts and talents to help our kids get through this pandemic and, and distance learning right now. Yeah. I feel like I have a lot of friends that their kids went to school. They didn't, they probably were, I would say pretty anti homeschool, which I definitely was too, just because I think once kids got into like the third grade, there wasn't much I could help them with anymore. And, mm -hmm. but as I meet like road school kids, it's not the the typical mindset that I had for homeschool kids. I just think there's just a different learning curve being out and traveling. And, you know, every week you might be meeting new kids, you're learning different skills. Um, and then, you know, on top of it right now, what people are dealing with, with this like weird, like school thing that's going on where now some kids can go back to school, but you can stay home if you want. And you're trying to learn Zoom and it just seemed like a really great time to actually pick the kids up regardless if they were being homeschooled or in school and do it now. Cause for a lot of them, they were just home anyways on zoom. So it works out. And I do like that you're being very honest about, you know, just that it is tougher on the older kids because that was probably the mindset I would have had if I would have thought about it is, you know, pulling the older kids from junior high and maybe first year of high school to do something like this is always the younger ones. They don't care. They're just like, let's go, you know, is there going to be ice cream? That's all they want to do. <laughs> Sugar, Skittle? Exactly. Let's That's do it. it. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's talk about work. What were you doing then? Is it the same thing you're doing now? Um, I mean, I know it sounds like you were kind of all over the place, but when you left in 2020, is it the, the same job? You just took it online or did you have to make a whole pivot? And part of, yeah, part of the plan of us going on a road was to launch a non-for-profit called Forgive Us Ministries. And, a part of that is taking this message of racial healing to the country. I think that there's a space that can that can't be really occupied by politics. And in some ways it can't even be occupied by religion, but it's occupied by this fabric of mutuality between people. And I think that it's kind of a I won't say harmony, but it's it's kind of a space, a peaceful place that we found in our family. 
And in order to help this country, which every time something happens, we are very aware of how wounded the relationship is between the races in this country. And I think everybody kind of throws their hands up and goes, what do we do? How is this supposed to work out? We, you know, we're planning to do that in the beginning of the year. And then all of a sudden we're ready to launch. And then George Floyd happens. Breonna Taylor happens. All of these huge tinderbox issues that have caused protests and rioting and all over the country. And it, it really gave us fertile soil to begin to plant this message uh, and this vision. So as my life previous working different jobs, but mostly in a pastoral capacity and me being an artist, a creative. So I do, you know, I make paintings, I write poetry. We launched this ministry and this idea was to give artists a platform to talk about injustice in the country. That as we start to recognize that injustice and reckon with it, then there can be reconciliation. Um, and I think that that's a step, first step, and a lot of steps that need to happen for us. But so that's that's kind of what we do on the road. I, it's a non for profit. We travel from city to city, organizing what we thought were going to be in person events. They ended up being filmings. We've been uh, blessed enough to do six so far in different cities in the country, and now we're going to do one in Chicago. Uh, and so it's really cool to see the different artists from different communities come out and interpret their uh the way that they see the country right now yeah you know i what's interesting to me with a lot of the injustice is i feel like some of the stories need to be told from like a white person's point of view i know it sounds terrible but and i tell these stories all the time when i especially when i have friends that are you know they have their own stand on it where i'll remind them you know that in 1987 while driving my car with three black friends lapd pulled me out of the car guns drawn asked me to come back to make sure I was okay because I was mm -hmm. in a bug with three black friends. I'm a white mm -hmm. man, you know? And it's like, how, how, what, what do you mean? Am I okay? Those are my teammates. I'm like, Oh, we just wanted to make sure you're okay. What am I supposed to tell my three black friends back in the car? When I get back to the car, Hey, what was that? Oh, it was just a check, a welfare check. They wanted to make sure I was okay. Um, I was a punk kid. I got arrested all the time and um, my black friends got charged with more even though we were doing the exact same thing, even if I had a more an extensive record, they got charged more. And mm -hmm. those are just examples I give out to people because they'll come back and be like saying, well, this person deserve it. This person didn't listen and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, explain, excuse those, excuse those two circumstances. Whereas a white kid being arrested for, let's say, you know, trespassing, why was I arrested for trespassing and they were also arrested for trespassing and property damage when no property was damaged? Why would they do that? That's a system problem. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know what I mean? And so those conversations that get people. So it's got to be, I mean, just from an RV community standpoint, doing this, it's got to be tough, but it's great that you're doing it because the conversations, they need to be had. And, you know, I, I think about your kids in the, you know, the different perspectives that they'll have too, in the sense of having a black dad and a white mom and just those conversations with family members and friends and what that's like. And, um, I've had obviously all those conversations with my kids too. Um, I think stepping out into doing a nonprofit on the road is awesome. It's really important. And I mean, you know, I definitely want to hear more. So in the idea of doing live shows, is the Chicago one going to be a live show or is it just more again, you guys filming and, and putting it out there? 
Yeah, it's still going to be a film that we okay. put on our website uh, for people to check out afterwards. A way to do it safely with the COVID situation, a, a way that you have to pivot. I think that this time is teaching us resilience. But a part, a part of the reason I think a lot of people don't take the leap out there to, to begin to RVM because they think about all the problems that can happen and will happen. But we underestimate our ability to problem solve. Mm -hmm. We overestimate our ability to make our environment comfortable so we don't have to solve any problems. And we go, okay, I know where this is in my house. I know where that is. I got my sticks and bricks. I'm safe. You know, I, I have this like things around me. And COVID is really showing us that ain't nothing safe, ain't nothing comfortable. And that we are really built to be problem solvers. And when we take the initiative and embrace the unknown, it starts to really build us into more resilient, creative people who can um, take that all those things that, that may be just potential and then they come in actuality. And that's how I think of race in this country. We've had a lot of potential to be those things that we strive to be. Um, but we have to really be courageous to step out into places that our parents didn't, our grandparents didn't, and we'll be, I think we'll be really surprised at what happens with, with our humanity. I think you nailed it with one of the side effects of this lifestyle is someone that's owned a bricks and sticks or rented, you know, my entire life. There was very little maintenance that I did myself. I would hire a professional and and, and my dad was the same way, you know, he wasn't handy in any way. And, but once I got into this lifestyle, you, you really don't have that choice for a lot of the situations. You do just have to be like, wait, my slide won't, you know, come in or my level won't come up. Now what? You got to get out of YouTube. Mm -hmm. You got to get a tool. You got to fix it and you figure it out. And that really does breed like that. You can almost do anything. The entire renovation that I did in my RV, the idea was to hire people and then I just saw things going wrong and I just said, it. I'm just going to learn it. I'm going to do it myself. I, you know, I've got enough tools now I can build one of these things. I owned really hardly any tools. Um, and I agree with you that, that, that part of it, and this is why I preach all the time where I feel like I wish we were doing this between high school and college. I wish we took a two year kind of just sabbatical in a sense and spent two years RVing you know, and I think as young adults, we would learn so much. And those 18 to 20 years are just tossed years anyways in college. We don't know what we want to do. Or, you know, even yeah. if you're right out of high school, you don't know what you want to do. And you think you want to live where you want to live, blah, blah, blah. And I, I think you nailed it. I think it's really important. It does teach you a lot, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Now, how can, and I, I'll do this later too, but I just, because it's, you know, a nonprofit and stuff, how can, how can the RV community, let's say, get involved? And, you know, I think one of the things I really liked what was happening with some of the movements was I don't understand, but I'm willing to try to listen and learn. And I thought that was really important that there were people that might like, I don't get it. I don't, you know, I, I've never had a problem with a cop or whatever it is, but they're willing to just at least listen in regards to the RV community. Like, how can we get involved? How can we listen and how can we help? with this kind of, you know, movement? I think we have to be determined to show empathy more than we are to have an argument. And there are many historical things that have happened in this world 
that are not up for argument. You know, you can talk about the Holocaust. Nobody's going to say, well, prove to me that it really happened. And I, I think that we, we, when we talk about the, what I like to call the human trafficking of Africans, slavery seems to, that term makes the, whatever happened very distant. Slavery, I can't really, you know, connect with that term. But we can connect today with human trafficking. So the human trafficking of, of Africans is something that has really shaped who we are as a people more than we really can admit. And I think whenever someone says something and we go, well, what about this? What about that? You know, the response to Black Lives Matter, or the, re the response to, you know, George Floyd, well, he was a criminal or, well, this happened, this happened. And that we are used to arguing places where we, where the net, where the response that's necessary is empathy and compassion. And our this country has shown constantly that we we lack that. We lack the ability to have a collective conscience that says, "Okay, I really understand that what built this country wasn't a prescient." omnipotent, benevolent God, but it was free labor and free land. People get upset, you know, and we talk about that, how, you know, you, you're getting pulled over and you're getting let go and people just saying, well, you know, it was of my own merit. That is the reason that I got let go. But how many times are white teens pulled out of situations and a cop says, just go home. They catch them with all kind of stuff. And they, they, you know, the same as black kids. I, I've been around teenagers a lot. And they're all the same. You know, they all have the same stuff in their mind. And normally if kids have more resources, they're getting into more trouble. So when people are going, just get out of here. But the same thing happens to a black kid. And it's like, let's throw the book at them. I think right now we have to, it really takes empathy to move forward. And now because of, Google and books, we can look up exactly what happened in this country. It, it's, it, I don't understand how it's still an argument. So I would say that people would be able to show empathy. And, and like you said before, listen, listen to these people's stories, listen to the stories of people who have come into this country and are afraid in an environment where you might be emboldened. Um, shut down racist jokes from friends. Don't laugh at them shut down prejudice like oh we're not gonna hire her her name is Shaniqua or whatever it may be and I think that we'll begin to see as a people that silence is violence it, it's not just when I take up an arm or something like that and you know fight somebody or be violent it's in my silence there is a complicity that says I approve of what's going on in this country and I just believe we're better than that and um, so that's that's what my hope is. I, I understand our history and I'm believing that we're able to do things that probably we've never done before, which is care about somebody who doesn't look like us. But I think that when you appeal to that mutual love between people, that anything is possible. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point. I'll use the example of California is that there's a lot of people that say to me, you know, oh, I hate California. I would never go to California. And I'm like, wait, you you hate California if you've never been? They're like, no, I've never been, but I just, I know I hate it. And I've ran into that with people that where they, they are afraid or don't like a certain race that they've never been around. 
And it's like, mm-hmm. how are you making a judgment when you've never, and I can, I can almost understand like maybe you had one interaction and it was terrible. Even that's really bad, but to have zero interaction, zero friendships. Um, when I see friends sharing, I don't know, a, a Candace Owens video or a Kanye West, I'll look at the friends list and there's no one of color. And I'm like, no wonder you're sharing those videos. Cause you think that somehow, you know, coincides with what you're saying, but you would learn really quickly if you had friends of color that people of color aren't sharing those videos. There's a reason. And it's powerful. With, yeah. It's we're like we're living in a world where because of entertainment, we are over entertained mm-hmm. and over opinionated, but under experienced. And that means that whatever we can espouse as our opinion, a lot of times it's theoretical or it's pulled from somebody else. I mean, people send me Candace Owens videos and, you know, who, whatever black person they can find on the internet or on YouTube right. who, is co- who is co-signing a conservative state of mind, they will send me those videos. And my answer to that is, tell me about your experience. Right. Tell me about your life. Because when I'm sharing, I'm sharing from personal experience. I'm sharing from personal hurt. Uh, disappointment with a lot of white folks, how they've reacted to what's going on in this country. And I think that our response, um, we, we need a lot more humility. And I know that we can receive humility or we can be humbled. And it seems that we are choosing the latter course right now in this country. Without a doubt. I completely agree. And, you know, one of the things I was just recently reading and especially because you're from Chicago is, you know, Cook County state attorney, Kimberly Fox, how I just was so in awe of this that I guess she basically said they're not going to criminalize shoplifting or, you know, personal usage marijuana anymore. And because it was just clogging the courts. And so I guess what they did was they, they decided to help provide um, the things that were being stolen. Most people were shoplifting for food to eat basically. And then obviously you're Mm -hmm. smoking weed instead of drinking alcohol and, I'm a guy that's been sober 24 years, and I'll tell you that alcohol is 100 times worse than weed ever will be in your life. But guess what they're focused on now? They had all this just backlog of petty you know, theft and you know, possession of marijuana. And because they're not criminalizing those, at least to the point, you know, you know, first offense, even second offense, and you're not trying to go to court and have a trial, they're focused on guns. They're focused on gun violence now. So cops and prosecutors are really doing things that will make a change. And then, you know, and it's kind of like, I always think back to Pastor Chuck Smith where, you know, someone told him, hey, these, you know, hippies, surfers are coming to the church and they're ruining the carpet with their bare feet. And the, the you know, Pastor Chuck said, hey, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. Next time they came to church, there was no carpet. And I think most mm-hmm. people thought they would, you know, we're going to fix something. We're going to tell these people to wear shoes or, you know, clean their feet before they come in. And he's like, no, that doesn't really fix the problem. And I, when I was reading about what she's doing, where it's like, we're going to, Stop focusing on the stuff that's really petty that ruins someone's life to the point where they can't get a job because they have this petty crime in their history. They didn't, you know, they took a deal, blah, blah, blah. And it's changing the community. It's still going to take a long time. Chicago is, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it reminds me of, you know, LA in the eighties, you know, it's, it's really kind of bad right now, but at least it's taking someone from within the community that has seen it her entire life. And now she's making changes that make perfect sense. Like you can't argue with, we need to try to stop criminalizing you know, simple possession of marijuana. And I think they, once they made it legal or whatever, they released like 12,000 people. And I just don't know what that does to a community when 12,000 men and women are in 
are in custody for stuff that so many people are just outside doing. And yeah, and it's, it's petty, you know, and it's not treated the same way on different, on the same, on different sides of town. I've looking for from afar at Chicago and Illinois in particular, Illinois got rid of cash bail, which was an inherently racist system that made uh, you hear all these horror stories of single mothers sitting in jail for a year, two years, three years, all because they couldn't make bail and have charges dropped in some cases. Yeah, they would not take and, a and deal. It's, yeah, it's insane. And I think like there are very there are common sense laws or things that we can do to just really be, uh, really be fair and understand that Chicago is a city that is uh, roughly a third black, a third white, and a third Hispanic, and they're overwhelmingly the people who are locked up for crimes are in um are in uh, black and brown areas. I, I tell people the experience sometimes. I used to, so I lived on every side of the city, so I, I can compare the way police treated people in different areas. And so I lived on the south side, and the tag on my car when when a tag on my car expired, the day it expired, I would get a ticket. The day I lived on the north side with an expired tag for five months, and a cop lived on my street. And had to drive by my car for five months and did not ticket me. That is yeah, <laughs> that is what we're dealing with in this world where people are can can feel like they're being preyed upon in in black communities. And I'm telling you, like it it, w- it would be one day where I had the, the tag on the south side and I just forgot to put it on. And as soon as it turned to midnight, it's like they were coming through at 2 a.m just to check people's cars and tags and stuff like that. So I think that until there can be some kind of, some kind of recognition of that system in the world, as long as we want to be blind and just say, Hey, everybody, everything is fair. It really is fair. Then I think that we, we, we continue to show our immaturity to the rest of the world. And we show our, our unwillingness to truly be leaders in my opinion. And, um, as far as history is concerned. Yeah. I remember um, like right out of high school, I had to do a report for college and I did one on crack cocaine. And in that I found out that even though white uh, Californians were two thirds of the crack users, that not one white person had been federally prosecuted with the minimum mandates that came with the war on drugs, not one. And they were two thirds of the users. And I remember just being insane. And, you know, I, look, I, I openly talk about, it. I was a kid. I did really dumb things. I thought it was a gangster. I grew up in a crip neighborhood, thought it was a Mansfield. I, you know, I was just all that stuff. I just was about that and got in trouble and then finally got into some serious trouble. And that was it. I was like, Hey, this isn't me. I'm not this guy. And you know, I, 24 years just recently where it's like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not gonna do drugs. I'm not going to hang around people. They're going to get me in trouble. And my life's been great, you know, but I got bail really a lot of bail. I got put into a rehab, you know, cause I had a, a family that had the resources to do that. And I think back all the time, if I didn't have those resources, where would I be today? Because it really mm-hmm. did, you know, t- I would have waited probably, like you said, I would have probably been 18 months for a trial. And, you know, I mean, by the time I got let out 
on bail and, you know, had my job still and worked through it and went back to trial and had all kinds of stuff dropped and, you know, just, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody from where I grew up goes to trial. You, you take a deal. And that's just yeah, you know, what I ended you up doing. You take a too. plea deal because you you're afraid. Yeah, you're so scared. And they even scared me. And, you know, I did have a funny moment. My name is spelled Damien. It's spelled, you know, odd, D E M I A N. And my record showed that I went mm -hmm. to LA High and stuff. And I remember when I walked in, the prosecutor was like, the first thing he said was, oh, you're white. It was so funny. I still remember it to this day. And like, <laughs> charges got changed. It's so weird. And I like saying those stories because, again, I think it's a different perspective that. This is, you know, you can't argue with math. This is my experience that a lot of people know and respect and trust me. Those are my experiences growing up in Los Angeles. And it, it is, you know, systematic across the board that, that these stories are finally starting to come out. And, and I know it's probably, you know, maybe some have turned off this podcast at this point. They just don't want to hear this stuff. And, you know, I, but I do think it's an important conversation because mathematically, if you really look at it, it doesn't make sense. There's no reason for a population that makes up 50%, 15% of our country to make up 40% of our prison population. And in some areas, 90%. It just it mathematically doesn't make sense. It can't make sense. And the majority of the population in places like Iowa, <laughs> where there are no black people, and it's still a very large portion of the people who are in, in prison now are black. Yeah, there was something I read too recently about Detroit, I think, I want to say it was in like the early 2000s had this one city had a population of 21,000 and they had an open warrants on 16,000 people and 97% of them were black. And I was just like, how can an entire community all have warrants out for their arrest? How did they not show up for whatever the, the petty fine was, whether it was a broken taillight or, you know, expired registration or whatever it is. And I talk about that all the time. I'm like, if my car is parked illegally, my car gets a ticket not the person. And I've always said that about, you know, taillights, registration, all those kind of things that, that you literally should get pulled over and a cop should walk over to you and say, Hey, here's a ticket, your taillights out. And it doesn't matter your license or whatever. It's just this car gets a ticket, just like a parking ticket. If they really want to waste their time doing that, it's not like, Hey, let's start having more. Where are you going? Where are you coming from? What's that in the car? What's that on the ground? What's going on here? Hey, passenger, give me your license. Even though a passenger doesn't have to give his license in a moving violation where he's not the driver or she's not the driver. It's just weird. I like that needs to change too. So anyways, I can go on on this kind of stuff forever, obviously. And I, I'm glad you're out there doing it, but I want to talk about the art side of stuff too. Cause I was going through the Instagram. Um, is there art and poetry for sale, not just from yourself, but from others? Is there a way to connect to some of these, you know, this, this kind of movement that maybe I'm not aware of? Um, yeah, well, I'm working on getting, opportunity to do that i'm I, it's really hard for me to monetize my art <laughs> but you can actually go on our website and if you click the link at the top right it's a link that's called uh and vision cards and if you go in there and put your information in i will send you a, uh, a piece of art for free wow. so i have this like idea of I believe art can change the world. I believe original art can change the world. I believe one of the problems is, is that it is monetized the way it is. And so I want to give away, you know, I want to give everybody on earth an original work of art. I know that's impossible, but I want to give it the best effort. I mean, I've given away thousands at this point, and then they have to be original, not prints of anything, because I believe that that's the way God made each one of us is to be an original. Uh, I'm just convinced that 
that art and creativity is important. I believe that love is important. I believe that there's a way that we can take this message that Jesus had when he was on earth um, and, and his concern for justice, that we can be people who can carry it into a new era. But so I, every once in a while, I put work on Instagram and things like that, but I've never been good at selling my artwork. I'm, I'm much better at selling what I write. So <laughs> that's what I try to do. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah, it, it really is. It's not just hard to, to sell art. It's also hard to know what to price it. And it's just, it it is a really weird situation. I totally get it as a content creator. I, I understand. And, you know, my one of my closest friends is an artist on, on, you know, from the tattoos that I have on my body, he's done to, he does oil paintings to sculptures. He's just one of those people that can do anything. And I always, as a business side, have conversations with him where I'm like, you know, you got to charge way more X for the original than you do the prints and then just let people buy prints if they want to. But I love, I really do. That led me with some goosebumps where it's an original piece of art that everyone deserves to own that. And I, I that resonated. That was huge. That's amazing. Well, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the exploring aspect. I will assume a family of seven living, leaving a very busy city like Chicago in the Chicago area you guys are probably doing stuff that maybe you just had never done before as a family. So when you're not working and when you're not traveling, what are you guys doing as a family? Kind of like for hobbies or exploring or all that kind of stuff. Uh, we are doing whatever comes up. I mean, my wife loves being in nature, going to the beach, make sure the kids are that we're, you know, learning on the move. Uh, we're, if we're not, doing our and i mean we've been moving at a pretty fast pace i think we visited over 45 uh rv sites in the last nine months so we've been like really some places we'll stay four days and move on but we've been visiting a lot of places and and a couple of national parks love joshua tree my favorite um place that we went was oregon we went there uh, the end of we in August and then through September. Wasn't rainy at all, just very very beautiful. And sometimes you know we go out for hikes and things like that. But our most of our hobbies are you know doing creative stuff and attempting to do as much as we can as a family together. We have movie nights. Friday is our movie night that's designated where we pop popcorn and and watch a movie. And so that's something that we do every single week. And so we love doing that, hanging out with friends. And um, I don't think we have a solid hobby, but yeah, we, whenever we can, we shoot content and put it on Instagram. We have a YouTube uh, Stanton seven and we like to, when I can edit videos and put them on there, the kids do challenges and stuff like that. So I think we are not lacking in ideas and creativity and and really feels like people out there in the world really like to see our family together. I think that it it sort of provides a message of what is possible for us in this country. So No. I love it. I do. What I like to do when I kind of end the show is I like to do what's called a high low and you know, maybe we've talked about it, maybe we haven't, but I'll start with the low. 
What's been a low in this lifestyle that you didn't see coming? And it can't be a, a flat tire internet or COVID related. Those seem to be like ones that popped up really quick in the beginning. I ixnade those. But what's been a low in this lifestyle that maybe you just didn't see coming? Um, I would say the that we've just had some you can tell when the grace runs out, you know, mm. when days are long. So probably what we didn't anticipate is in the winter having to race the sunset. You can't have your travel day be longer than the time that you have daylight between your check out of the last place you're at and the check in of the next place or else you're bagging up your RV in the dark in a place you've never been before. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say a low has been, you know, just a time where we're, it, it worked out where we try to plan everything as well as we can. And we still end up in, in a pitch dark setting up with a dog barking and our kids screaming. And <laughs> we're just like, ah, ah, this is, what are we doing? You know? So that's, that's kind of been a low, those moments. We had another low. It doesn't have anything to do with a tie or anything, but. We were uh, going, we were going into uh, campground at Santee Lakes in San Diego, and before on the way there, taking the five south, there was a lot of hills, big hills going up and down, up and down. Our puppy gets sick as soon as we pull into the campground, Th throws up and poops everywhere. Oh. And my my daughter is back there, and she's screaming, you know. He's like, ah, get this dog out of here. Get it off of me. Open the door. Let me out. And so we pull up. You know how you have to pull up to check in now at the booth. Right. And there's this, like, really cute old volunteer couple there. And they're just slowly, they're slowly taking me through the whole process. Okay, you go down here and make a ride. And here's your, I'm like, can they hear what's going on? The kids are screaming. The smell is horrible. I'm, you know, I'm trying to roll down a window and everybody is freaking out and screaming. And my wife is like, calm down, everybody, calm down. And I, you know, you pull in, as you know, traveling around, one of the most stressful times could be as you're pulling in and you're trying to like get situated and get set up and all that. Uh, so that was a, that was a particular low where we're just like, what are we doing? <laughs> I hear you. You know, one of my, my little tips that I've been telling people when you're staying at a place, let's say one or two nights, and even if it is full hookups where, you know, you have sewer, I always encourage people, especially if they have the tank space, I mean, maybe with a family seven, you really don't, is to not hook up sewer until the mm. next day. And because there's just something worse than a five, six hour drive, maybe it's a really tough kind of place to back in. And then you're trying to also, you know, connect sewer, which is, you know, probably not the funnest part of this lifestyle. And what I started noticing was when I went to places that didn't have sewer and had a dump station, that that's kind of the thing. I was there for three days and then I take my stuff out once, I dump, I put it right back, I use the same set of gloves. I don't have to do it twice. don't have to worry about it. And I almost started taking that mentality that if I'm going to be somewhere for, you know, less than four days, um, I just wait till the day I'm leaving to break out my sewer, empty my tanks, put everything in and out all at the same time and not have to worry about it, especially after like a long hectic drive or especially at night. And I've had some people be like, I never thought about that. I, even if I'm doing one night, I still take the, 
you know, everything out. And I'm like, yeah, just treat it like it's a, you know, it's your own private dump station, you know, like you would if you were leaving the RV park. You just happen to be doing it before you leave your campsite. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. I know when we do one night stays too, we'll leave our car hitched overnight. Yep. We'll we'll put down the stabilizers. We'll put down the the foot to kind of you know give it some stability, but we'll leave it hitched, and it saves us a lot of time because we can just get up in the morning and raise up the stabilizers and everything. It's not like we have to rehitch everything. We just have to make sure we get gas before we pull in, right. which is not a huge deal in most places. But I mean, this lifestyle really makes you savvy. You know, like you know how to get into the gas station the right way. You know what I mean, and kind of angle things. And so I appreciate you know that. Uh, that's great advice. Yeah, it's it's all those little tips that end up being like big helps down the road, kind of a thing. So what's been a high? What's been that? I can't believe this is our life moment for you in the time that you've been a full-time RVing? I think there are a lot of those, particularly right when we left and, and going to Oregon. And it's a beautiful day in Bend. We're like at, by the Deschutes River and, you know, the water is, the sun is shining off the water and we're walking a puppy and it's a great day like that. Or it's the sunset at the Grand Canyon um it's uh you know we're at joshua tree and a fox crosses the road or we you know we're in another rv park and we see a whole like group of uh wild boar you know what i mean so i i think like moments like that where you're really this country and its nature can really take your breath away have been a series of of high and all the beautiful sunsets northern arizona and florida and places like that I think that is more than made this trip really worth it. I agree. I'm in Arizona right now. And last night we had a 360 sunset. It's the weirdest thing to look out every window in the rig. And there's that beautiful purple kind of pink sky where I'm still like, I don't get it. Wow. How can there be a sunset on both <laughs> sides of the rig? It's so weird. Um, I know we talked about it a little, but I want to make sure people know where to find you both. You know, you guys as a family, obviously the nonprofit and then YouTube channel, I will write all this down below you guys. It'll be there for you to link and click it. So you don't have to try to remember it. But uh, as a family, where are you again on Instagram and YouTube? We are on Instagram, um, Stanton seven wanders. Okay. So Stanton seven, not wonders, but wanders W A N D E R S. And on YouTube as the Stanton seven. Um, our organization, Forgive Us, is Forgive Us One on Instagram. And I am Nathan Stanton17 on Instagram. And my wife is Liz.m.stanton on Instagram. Awesome. Um, and that's where we have most of our stuff at. That's very cool. I'll list it all down below. Nathan, thank you so much for. Uh... Coming on the show, I mean, it went, it went in a direction I didn't know it would go, but I'm really glad it did, and I hope everyone that listened just did with just, you know, with an open heart and open heart, and I think is really important in when discussing these kind of things and then just looking at things from someone else's perspective, and I, I appreciate you coming on the, the show and sharing your story. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing uh, so much of your own story. Yeah. I um, really love that element of it, too, so thanks. Appreciate it. 
Well, another great episode. Uh, big thank you to Nathan for coming on the show. You're just an awesome human being. It was so much fun getting to know you. And uh, I just feel like I'm, I, I've got to get on the road and meet you somewhere at some point. And uh, again, I just really thank you for coming on and sharing your journey and everything that you and your family are doing. If you want more information or to connect with the guests that have been on the show today, just head down into the show notes, click on any of the links. And if you do reach out to them, let them know you heard them on the Rootless Living podcast. Also, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, make sure to let your friends and family know by sharing us on your favorite social media channel. It's a really big help in getting the word out. And if you use the hashtag Rootless Living over on Instagram, we're going to share it as well. And like always, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest or that guest might even be you, please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com and let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.